Hello, hello. You are listening to Apricity. Apricity means the warmth of the sun in the winter. My hope is that this podcast feels like a cup of tea on a cold day. Speaking of cold days, happy October. I hope you're enjoying the beginning of fall thus far. I have been really embracing this cozy season. I'm back home in Colorado. I've been going for lots of hikes, taking time to admire all the yellow leaves. This year, fall has been so beautiful in Colorado. I've been cooking lots of nourishing soups at home. I also have a very big announcement that I have been trying to hold in for as long as possible. I have been working on a book that will be coming out in the upcoming months. As soon as I have a release date, I will tell you guys, but without giving too much away, it's called Talking With My Angels in the Bathtub. It's a compilation of poems and practices. That's all I'm going to say for now, but I will be talking more about it in upcoming episodes. I just wanted to get that out there because I finally can announce it. I'm so excited. This project has been my baby for over a year now, so keeping it a secret has been very hard. I'm so excited for you guys to see it, and this is the first place that I'm announcing it. I just feel closest with the podcast community. For today's episode, I am joined by my friend Jaskrit Bala. She is an herbalist, a cook, a naturalist, a postpartum doula, and a creator. In today's episode, she shares about her journey with mental health, substance abuse, and burnout, and how that led to her going back to the basics. We talk about overcoming perfectionism, reconnecting with the land. She teaches me all about all the ways in which doulas can support new mothers, how to responsibly source herbs, and using herbs as a beginner. Jaskra is such a beautiful soul, and I had such a great time sitting down with her in Los Angeles and recording this episode. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you for having me. Do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah. So my name is Jaskrit, and I am the founder of Inner Garden, which is my baby, my small business. I am an herbalist and an educator. I'm also a cook. And I recently did my postpartum doula training, so that's becoming a bigger part of my practice and offerings. Amazing. You do everything. (laughs) Yeah, kind of a jack of all trades, but I'm trying to really hone in on a few of those and, yeah, be the best practitioner slash educator as I can be. Absolutely. And I bet they're also interconnected, too. They really are. Yeah. Yeah, super interconnected. And I also think... In our generation, in this kind of new world that we live in, less and less people are enticed to follow one single linear path. So many of us are very multifaceted and multi-passionate, and I think that should be nurtured instead of discouraged. Totally. I relate to you with that. I listened to a podcast episode you were on, and you said you were a yoga teacher, too. I was. How did you get into all of it? Where did you start? Because I know for me, when I first got into, I don't even like saying the word wellness, because yeah. I feel like it's just living now at this point. But when exactly. I first got into that world, I 
was trying to heal my autoimmune disease by cooking things at home and being like, okay, what herbs can I be using to help that? What different ingredients can I be going to the farmer's market to get rather than just buying things that are packaged? You know, like I think we all have somewhere we start and then we kind of expand into all of these different avenues. So I'd love to know where you started. So for context, my family is North Indian. And so a lot of these eastern so-called alternative healing practices and modalities for us were the norm growing up and things like Ayurveda and even yoga you know I remember being a kid probably like eight or nine years old and my grandma had called a yoga teacher home to do some classes with her and pranayama which is breath work and she had me come sit in with her and like that was my first time practicing yoga and I was like this is kind of cool it felt a little silly but it was it was really cool at the same time and you know my mom I'm so blessed that she really encouraged our first line of defense when it came to any sort of health issues or just general like mental health and physical health was taking care of ourselves at home through food and through using herbs and movement and all those different things and so I would bring her home-cooked Indian food to school every day. And I remember, like, getting teased for it because it's different and it smells different. But looking back, I'm so grateful that I was able to have quality, nourishing, home-cooked food to bring to school with me. My grandfather was a homeopathic practitioner, and he would offer complimentary sessions to the people in his community. Growing up, we would take homeopathic remedies, like whenever me and my brother had any sort of kind of like minor ailment. All of these different things were kind of in my sphere my whole life, pretty much. And then I think when I was around 18, 19, when I was experiencing a mental health crisis and physical health crisis was when it all kind of came to a head and I was like, okay, maybe I should try taking these things a bit more seriously. That's amazing. That's so beautiful that you were able to be raised with that and have it kind of passed down through your family. I'm really lucky. You know, I've had my fair share of experiences with like the Western medical system and pharmaceutical industry and all of that. And at times, systems saved my life. And at other times, they they did a lot more harm than good. And I think it's just all about balance. I also feel like kind of going back to what you were talking about earlier with the word wellness and how it's kind of it's this like huge buzzword now and no one really knows what it means. On the way here, the podcast that I was listening to that I I mentioned to you was all about the word wellness, how it's become this industry and it's been like heavily commodified. And I think people are deeply attaching their identities to it um, and feeling like they're on this never ending healing journey, which, you know, we're never going to be perfect. We're never going to be completely absolved of all physical ailments that like affect the human condition, (laughs) right? But the obsessive tendency that we have to attach ourselves to different like fad diets or new wellness trends or all of these different things here in the western world is pretty detrimental. Yeah it definitely has turned into more of a business than what the word originally meant and there's this pressure to always be healing and becoming our best self. I think that It can stop you from living sometimes, too. There's definitely this obsession with perfection and, like, being in perfect health 
and being perfect in every aspect of your life that plagues us all. We live in such a perfectionistic society. And I think that translates into the wellness world by with the rise of social media, like content creators and people like you and I feeling the need to put up this front of having like the perfect wellness routine all the time and doing all of the things that are like trending at the moment to feel like we're constantly keeping up with what the industry is like pushing onto us. And it's just, it's like a rat chase. The most healing thing that we can do is take a step back from all of that and get back to the basics. Being connected to the natural world is one of the most important things that you can do for yourself. And like pleasure and joy and humor. Humor is so important. Having fun. Having fun, yeah. Yeah, that's such a big one. It's like we forget that community and I really love what you said about nature because for me that was a huge part of my healing and still is Mm -hmm. every single day. When I feel sad, I'm like, have I been outside today (laughs) have I I gone in the sun today and usually the answer is no on days where I'm not feeling very good but I'd love to learn more about your mental health journey and how you got into connecting with the natural world more yeah I definitely resonate with like feeling super off and kind of funky and being like oh, maybe it's because I haven't, like, left the house in two days and, like, gotten any fresh air. But I've always struggled with mental health. I truly feel like it's, like, we all have these lifelong battles that we kind of learn to not just deal with but overcome. And I think that the one that has dominated most of my life has been mental health. I've always been my own worst enemy and growing up had all of the OCD symptoms, really bad anxiety, some, you know, ADHD symptoms, all of these different like diagnoses and and I struggled with panic attacks and was just like super perfectionistic, but there was no real name that was given to it until I was in high school. So throughout grade school, I was this overachieving, highly gifted child. And then like a lot of other teenagers, I got burnt out and was no longer like the gifted kid. And that part of my identity was like stripped from me because I was burnt out and my mental health was preventing me from being able to do well at school. A lot of it does obviously stem from like childhood things and family dynamics and traumas that we've experienced growing up. It just got really bad in high school with my anxiety and my OCD and was really interfering with me being able to succeed at school. And I remember experiencing like depression for the first time because it was, okay, well, I'm not really good at academics anymore. I don't have the motivation to go to swim practice, do my extracurricular activities, hang out with my friends, and I feel like a failure. I fell into like a depression for the first time when I was about 15, 16. Coming from an Indian background, a lot of like South Asian parents and just like the older generation, unfortunately, were not equipped with the tools to deal with mental health issues and family dynamic stuff. And so my parents kind of weren't really sure what to do. And I transferred to a really like tiny charter school for the last two years of high school. It was super unconventional. It placed a really heavy focus on like connecting with nature and the arts and creativity. And I did really well there. Graduated high school, was still dealing with a lot of mental health things went to college and then the same cycle kind of repeated itself of trying really hard initially realizing that this system of education was just not built for me 
I started struggling with substance abuse, was dealing with some things at home. I almost got expelled when I was at college because of my substance abuse issues. At that point, I just had a full-on <laughs> mental breakdown. Like, it was wild. I ended up having to leave school. I was hospitalized. My doctor, who I was seeing, told my family, hey, I think the best thing for her would be to leave this environment that she's in right now, go someplace new where she can really focus on dealing with the root cause of these issues and hone in on her, her mental health and wellness. And so I went to this kind of like a rehab for three months. That was the catalyst for everything following. While I was there, I met a yoga teacher who was a very traditional style of yoga teacher. He didn't focus as much on like posture practice. It was like a very traditional meditation practice and self-study, learning about the root cause of the things that we're experiencing in this lifetime. It transformed everything for me and I studied under him for eight months and so that was that yoga teacher training. It's like you would start to try to head down a path of healing but when you're a teenager I think it's the hardest time to be going through something because you still have to keep moving forward like at any other point in your life usually you can be like okay I need to take a step back but when you're a teenager it's like you still need to go to school you need to think about college you need to think about yeah. all these things and if you're dealing with a lot in your life it's so hard to try to move forward to try to even think about what's going to happen tomorrow or what I want to happen next week so I feel like you just really needed that space to to actually step back because you just continued to move yeah. forward and push forward and that's such a perfectionist thing too yeah. to be like I'll persist through it all you know right you're so right so when I was younger I struggled with depression at a really young age mm -hmm. and it was the result of going through a really traumatic experience and so it was a lot for me to try to comprehend what had happened and you know that saying the body keeps the score yeah. with trauma the mental health felt like the hardest part to deal with yeah. because it's so it's debilitating when you're that age I don't know if you felt this way but I felt like I was watching people my age live their lives and get to grow and become something and I always felt like I was going backwards I really connect with you because so much of what you do is the importance of connecting with nature and for me at that time what really helped bring me out of my depression was actually spending time in nature mm -hmm. and making sure I was like you said at the beginning going back to the basics mm -hmm. because that was really what my body needed yeah I needed whole foods I needed sunlight I needed sleep yeah. I needed to be around people who made me happy. Exactly. And I took medication, and mm -hmm. the medication just... I think it saved my life, mm -hmm. and I am very for medication if someone needs it, but it didn't get to the root. Yeah, exactly. So I relate to you a lot with right. the not getting to the root. When do you feel like was a turning point where you were like, okay, I understand what's causing all of this? The turning point for me when I, I realized that, you know, I wasn't just like a messed up person with a messed up mind was when I, I was at that treatment center, all of the therapists there were trauma informed and practiced like different types of therapy. 
And my therapist, who I saw for the entirety of my stay there, she was trained in EMDR and somatic therapy. And so we coupled those things with the talk therapy. And that really was what like changed everything for me. Having that mind-body connection that most of us have never experienced or been taught to experience before is so important. And we would do, you know, the EMDR and somatic therapy, which is basically, I'm not sure how to like properly define it, you know, in in clinical terms, but it was basically feeling like where things were happening in my body and exploring like the sensory, the sensations of what was going on and where I was holding them. And then learning how to to move those sensations and like release them. And then we would process it afterwards through talk therapy. Through that, I was really able to get down to the root cause of, oh, there's like a lot of other factors that are coming into play here. My relationship with my family and my family members' relationships with each other and all of the really unhealthy dynamics that were at play, aspects of my upbringing that were challenging and how all of those things have a lasting effect and they don't just go away and like your body remembers them and holds on to them and um and it's not just necessarily like physical things that happen to you it can be emotional and mental things that that you experience too so that was really like a catalyst for me because i i realized that for the past few years of my life i kept trying to fix these problems on the surface that that seemed like surface level problems And I'd never, ever, ever sat down and taken a look at what the root cause of those problems were. Thank you so much for sharing with me about all this. I know it it takes a lot to walk into a room and just be so open. And so it, it means a lot to me that you're just here and you're just sharing your story because I think that's how we as humans feel less alone is hearing other people's stories. And just even me hearing you talk, I'm like, we're so similar. Yeah, like, And exactly. you wouldn't necessarily know that just right. like us sitting in a room together. Exactly. So. Also, there's something about podcasts. Like I know there's so many people that are like, oh, there's too many podcasts nowadays. <laughs> but like I truly, I love podcasts and I'm a huge advocate for them because they're able to facilitate conversations like this. Like your show in particular is you focus on these different topics that people don't just like talk about casually in day-to-day life. Like you really go in deep and you have these conversations about like heavy things, but in a way that's like really healing. That's so important. And I just hope that like by me sharing my story and even by you sharing your story that like at least one other person out there is able to feel a little more connected and a little like less alone. That was how I got into podcasts originally. Yeah. And so I write everything down in a journal or my notes. Like I just can't keep track of the amount of thoughts I have. So I'm always writing things down. And I found when I was cleaning out my notes on my computer the other day, there was a note from 2018, which I started the podcast in 2021. Mm -hmm. And it was ideas of if I have a podcast and it's all these (laughs) deeper topics. So I was like, oh, well, I found so much healing and podcasts. So maybe one day I can create a space for other people because when I first started trying to heal the root of my Hashimoto's, I was seeing so many doctors and they were all like, 
okay, well, your levels are all within normal range. Mm. Let's just up your antidepressants, up your anxiety medication. My body wasn't really feeling better. My -hmm. mental health was okay. And I was like, there has to be some other way. Like, there has to be something else. My friend's mom was very into herbs and herbalism Mm. and it's funny because everyone would be like oh she's so woo woo and I'm like no she had all the answers that's not woo woo (laughs) there's other ways of doing this right it doesn't have to be through these doctors who are making money off of giving you something yeah so I listened to some podcasts where it was people talking about different foods you could incorporate and I was like this is crazy (laughs) like no one said to me that I should be eating these things and I ate health healthy but I I wasn't intentional about it you know yeah for sure yeah the western medical system has its strengths and it's been able to conduct miracles and like save lives truly and it's so innovative and it's saved my life before but it's also failed so many of us and especially so many young women in such a on such a large scale and like the reason that I I did my postpartum doula training was because I saw a failure in the Western medical system and its lack of support for new moms. And I studied herbal medicine because I see the lack of support for people that are A, looking for a way to connect with nature and with plants while also nourishing themselves, and B, people that are looking for like accessible and simple and preventative ways to take care of themselves. It's really empowering to be like, I can self-heal. I can mm-hmm. connect with the natural world and use herbs, which is our birthright. Exactly. It's like, that's why we're yeah. here, yeah, you literally. know? You think about our ancestors, and that's what they would do. I really think everyone, at least one time in their life, should go to a farm where they can actually touch the soil yeah. and be connected to the food that they're eating because that's what our ancestors did and it's really when we go back to living in more simple ways I think it does make us feel better but I'd love to learn more about your postpartum doula training and being a doula could you define that for people like you're the extra support for so there's different types of doulas but the most common and like mainstream type of doula is a birth doula who's there to support the weeks leading up to birth and then the labor process. There's a big distinction between a doula and a midwife in that a midwife typically has more extensive clinical medical training. Like they're usually a registered nurse practitioner. They are able to be there to help facilitate the birth experience, whereas a doula has a slightly different role where they're there to support the mother through the process, make sure that her like emotional needs are met. There's a lot of different ways that birth doulas practice and do what they do. Those are birth doulas. And then there are postpartum doulas, which in every other culture on earth, women for thousands of years since the beginning of time have had really strong support systems after they have a baby. And this is like the first time in history, I think, where within the past few hundred years, there's been this like massive disconnect between postpartum women and like the rest of the world. I just realized that there was such a lack of 
care and support and compassion for new moms here in the U.S. And even like I'm from India and it's very different. They take, you know, it takes a village to raise a baby very seriously, which is amazing. So my mom had me in India and she had my younger brother here. And when she had me, there were like 20 people outside the hospital, like waiting for her, (laughs) which I'm sure is like a lot, super overwhelming. But at the same time, she had support constantly. You know, she had people cooking her food and she had people who were able to hold me and take care of me while she slept and rested. There's all of these different practices and rituals that we do in India for a newborn baby and also for the new mom and things like infant massage and herbs that you take after having a baby and the way that you're supposed to eat and the amount of rest you're supposed to get. And then here she had my brother and it was a very different experience. It wasn't necessarily worse, but it was different in that she really just had my dad who was working full-time, traveling half the year for work, my uncle who flew in from India, my grandmother, and then little three-year-old me. <laughs> Which is a full-time job on its own, taking care of oh, a three-year-old. Yeah, a hundred percent. My personal belief is that your birth experience has a lasting impact on you throughout your life. Mm-hmm. Um, and even those first like six to nine months postpartum. I saw that system of support missing here in the States, and I'm coming to an age where a lot of The people around me are becoming parents and I want to be able to support them in a way that is like actual support and not just from afar. What are some of the duties? Like, what does that look like? So there are a lot of different ways to practice, but typically you are there for the first two weeks to three months postpartum, you know, supporting the mom in whatever capacity she needs. And for some women, that means helping them with their laundry and cooking for them, helping out around the house, holding the baby while they they can take a nap. And then for other women, it's going the extra level of integrating herbs into their postpartum wellness routine and meal prepping or Um, And you do that too, right? Yeah, that's a lot of like what interests me the most and something that I've seen more of a demand for is that kind of like extra level of care, of targeted nutritional and herbal support, nourishing meal prep. The food you make looks so amazing. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much. And then things like uh, steaming, belly binding, and lymphatic drainage, and lactation support, which I'm not trained in, but there are a lot of amazing lactation specialists out there. There are endless ways that you can support new moms. So beautiful. Thank you. (laughs) That's so amazing. I just realized I never asked you this at the beginning. What is your sun, moon, and rising? I'm a Virgo sun, a Gemini rising, and a Capricorn moon. No way. Yeah, in Western, but then in Vedic astrology, I'm a Taurus rising, and then the same Virgo sun, Capricorn moon. What do you resonate with the most? I honestly resonate with both pretty deeply. Definitely resonate with a Taurus. I love cooking, and I love being at home, and I, I love my, like, creature comfort, but then I also love information exchange and I love like teaching and speaking and all of the different forms of communication writing creativity humor all of that which I think is more like Gemini 
Yeah. What are you? What are your three? So I'm also a Gemini rising. Really? Yeah. That's so funny. And I then, mean, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> I I was going to say you have to be an earth sign because you just have the most grounding energy. I'm a <laughs> Capricorn. You. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Okay. That yeah. makes a, a lot of sense. Really? Also, like, <laughs> my first impression of you was that you're very grounded and down to earth and, like, a calming presence. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I feel the same way about you. Thank you. Okay. Let's talk more about... Inner garden. I want to. I want to hear all about it. I started inner garden last spring, February, and then I more officially launched it in. I want to say May of last year, which was um, 2022. It originally started off as a product line. I was making grass-fed herbal ghee initially four flavors, and then I narrowed it down to three, but have a rosemary garlic, an adaptogenic cacao, a sea salt, and then I was doing like a turmeric ginger ghee, which I discontinued because it wasn't as popular as the other flavors. That sounds um, so good. Thank you. I'll that have sounds to get amazing. Yeah, and I was doing like herbal honey and had products in about eight retailers in California, which was amazing. It was really obviously overwhelming, you know, doing it all on my own, like from my home kitchen and just not super sustainable, making huge batches of ghee every week, like deep cleaning the whole kitchen, like labeling, jarring, shipping, everything on my own social media marketing. In the midst of all of that, I was asked by a few people, uh, you know, to collaborate on events with them, which I think like post peak pandemic, as people have started re-emerging from their cocoons and stuff, in-person events are really popular now and people just want to like get outside and connect with community. And so I was collaborating on events with friends that were in the sphere of what I do, which is like herbalism. I did my California naturalist training last summer and, you know, cooking, which is also a big part of what I do. And so I was helping friends with dinner parties and doing workshops and all these different things. I realized that I I really loved teaching and sharing information, and it kind of came really naturally to me. So Virgo in you. (laughs) I guess so, yeah. And I loved working with people and with plants. I ended up taking a step back from my product Um, or specifically my ghee production just so that I could kind of figure out like how to move forward with it more sustainably and and now I just kind of do it small batch for pop-ups and events and stuff and I've moved more into like the education and event space and I've also been doing a lot of cooking. I just recently started meal prepping for people and doing herbal local organic meal prep and doing food events and then also a lot of plant walks and herbal medicine making things. Yeah, I recently launched an eight-week hybrid program with my friend Andrea who founded Herb Club LA and it's an eight-week immersive, mostly virtual with a few in-person meetings that centers around reconnecting with the, the land and it integrates everything that we both practice, which includes herbal medicine making, naturalist skills, nature journaling and observation skills, cooking with wild foods and fungi, traditional ecological knowledge, and native plant cultivation, and all of these different aspects of reconnecting with the land, all packaged into this cohesive 
eight-week program. And so we, we launched that recently. It starts on September 9th. And so that's been where like a lot of my inner garden energy has been directed lately. If someone were to sign up, what would the first, is it by workshop? You sign up for the full eight-week program and we're going to do it in rounds. So this is our first round. We plan to do the second round in the springtime and continue repeating in spring and fall. But yeah, you sign up for the full eight weeks. If you're not local and unable to attend the three in-person gatherings, we offer a discount just so that you're actually getting your money's worth. That sounds like such a great space for people to meet like-minded people. Yeah. And that's yeah. the goal. Yeah, that's the goal. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> Thank you. So what would be a sneak peek into into it? Could we hear a yeah, little bit? Yeah, sure. So we're finishing up all of the lesson plans right now. The first in-person gathering, which is the first official day of the program, September 9th, is going to be in Arroyo Seco, which is in like the Pasadena area. We're going to start, obviously, with, like, introductions, and we're going to do a plant walk together, familiarize ourselves with the keystone species of important ecosystems here in Southern California, and then we're going to do a nature journaling immersion and teach everyone the basic important skills of nature journaling and starting, like, a field journal, basically, which is really, I think, important and also a great way of expanding on your observational skills. It's easy to just like go outside and not really process or take in what you're seeing. And, you know, there's also that cliche of, oh, Southern California doesn't have any seasons. Like we don't have a winter, we don't have a fall. And once you start to notice and observe the subtle changes in your surroundings and in the ways that the plants around you grow and the fauna or the wildlife behave, you start to notice very strong distinctions between the seasons. We're going to be teaching based off of the UC California Naturalist program, and also there were a lot of other field biologists and naturalists over the past like 100 years that have documented nature journaling techniques. So we're going to go into that the first day. So awesome. Yeah. We're also, we have a couple of guest speakers coming on. One of them is Deandra Marizette, and she is one of the co-founders of Intersectional Environmentalist, and we're so excited to have her. Lauren is another guest speaker. Her brand is Re Lauren, and she's a climate activist, and she creates sustainability content, and She's also very inspiring. We have Elisa, who is, she's an attorney, and she's very passionate about earth law and environmental justice, and she's going to be talking about that, and so it's just a bit of everything. That's so awesome. (laughs) That's great. It's such a great space to, if you're new to learning about plants, to engage with plants for the first time in a way that you're being mindful to. If I were to go on a plant walk would you guys go through and show the different plant species that people can maybe take home and do you guys teach them how to pick it when it comes to foraging or wild crafting everyone kind of has like a different way of practicing it with myself personally i don't like to teach foraging in large groups it can teeter on being a little bit irresponsible if you're not able to fully delve into the ethics 
and the most sustainable ways of harvesting plant material from the wild and and also the legalities of it and stuff just to make sure that no one gets into trouble and I also think that it's really important to develop a relationship with local plant species before you harvest them. They're living beings that have been here for thousands and thousands of years and they know this this land better than any of us. You know, they're indigenous peoples that have been stewarding this land also for thousands of years who have a very close relationship with these plants. And I think it does us a disservice if we go out and harvest plants that we're not super familiar with without having like a very clear intention knowing how we're going to use those plants, whether it's for medicine or for food, and develop that connection with the plants, right? My friend Andrea, one of her kind of analogies is you wouldn't just go up to a random person that you've never met before and be like, hey, can I cut off a bit of your hair? (laughs) It's not to shame anybody, but it's like rewarding and impactful to sit with a specific plant for a period of time, really get to know it, let it get to know you, and then as you've developed that relationship with it, then maybe it feels a bit more natural or appropriate to harvest from that plant and then give it something in return. Maybe it's like a bit of water or like an offering or something. But we are going to go into ethical wild crafting in the program because, you know, we're going to be meeting together over the course of two months. When you're crafting your ghee, for example, mm-hmm. Do you have herbs at home that you grow? Or like, let's say someone's listening and they're yeah. like, I want to be able to do that. Yeah. Where, where would they start in a responsible way? It kind of depends, right? Because I also do encourage everyone to go outside and get to know the local, native, and invasive, and naturalized plants and animals that exist around you. Foraging or wildcrafting is a really beautiful way to develop that connection. Us in Southern California specifically, we live amongst very like threatened ecosystems. So things like the sage scrub ecosystem and the chaparral ecosystem, specifically sage scrub. It's the most common plant family ecosystem that you'll find in coastal Southern California. And you're not going to find it anywhere else in the world. And so that's like one of the reasons that I think it's important to like really be mindful and familiarize yourself with with those life forms before harvesting but if you're looking to make your own herbal medicine or develop a relationship with medicinal herbs and plants in general I highly recommend anyone to try growing their own a lot of herbs specifically culinary herbs are really really easy to grow on your windowsill and they don't basil yeah, yeah basil mint chives parsley cilantro all of those different culinary herbs that can also be used medicinally are so easy to grow and they thrive in container gardens they thrive on windowsills I like encouraging people to support local farms. There aren't very many medicinal herb growers in Southern California, but there are tons up in NorCal, and I think even sourcing from there is great. There's a farm in Oregon, Oshala, that I really like, and they are like family-run organic herb farm. It's really all about sourcing and just knowing where your medicine is coming from and who's growing it the same way that you would with the food that you're eating. If you're someone that's really into farm-to-table cooking or shopping at the farmer's market or just like sourcing your food locally, you want to treat medicinal herbs the same way. 
Absolutely. That's super helpful, I think, for anyone who's wanting to get into that and trying to figure out where to start. So what was your first plant you developed a relationship with? It's hard because whenever people ask me that, I'm like, my first introduction to like really being hands-on with plants and falling in love with them was when I was 18. I started like a little container garden in my dorm (laughs) and I bought like all of these different seedlings from my local nursery and planted them in containers and it was just I had this like thriving little garden in my dorm. (laughs) That's so cute. (laughs) And I was literally obsessed like they were my babies. I took such good care of them. I had all of these like notebooks where I would document what I was doing every week like which ones I was pruning, like if I was fertilizing them, the different care techniques and growing methods for each herb and each plant. Like I was very into it. That's so beautiful. Thank you you so much for coming on today and sharing so much. I always leave the end for like rapid fire Q&A. My first question for you is what is lighting you up in this season of your life? Food. Food. Yeah. Making I just enrolled food. in culinary school. So. You did? Oh, <laughs> yeah. That's so exciting. Which is like a big commitment, and I'm kind of scared, but I'm Congrats. excited. Thank you. That's so Thanks. awesome. <laughs> what is your favorite herb right now? Right now, my favorite herb is maca. I've been taking maca every single day, like in my smoothies and in my oatmeal. and It's really good for libido. Yeah, libido, fertility support, which I'm not trying for that right now. Yeah, but like it's, <laughs> but still, <one> day. <laughs> it's very good for, for overall reproductive health. And um, it's a stimulating adaptogen, which usually I don't go for stimulating herbs, but I've felt like I've needed that lately. So Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I used to always put it in smoothies yeah. with peanut butter. It almost has like a similar taste to peanut it butter does. or something where it like blends those yeah. two flavors like blend really well totally because it's like nutty and like yeah candy. yeah yeah do you drink teas too i do i drink lots of tea what type of teas do you like to drink my go-to tea for the summer has been hibiscus peppermint i'll steep it hot and then pop it in the fridge and drink it like an iced tea Oh, I love that. It's so good. Maybe I'll do that tonight. You have to. It's, like, (laughs) the most refreshing, like, delicious thing. Yeah. Yeah. I've been doing mint tea before bed every Mm. night. I started my first herb garden at my dad's house recently, which I'm so excited about. And mint is one of the things we've been growing. And it's just so easy to put in tea. Yeah. It helps your digestion so much if you have it before bed. So good for your digestion. Yeah. It's really versatile, too. Yeah. It's so easy to use in dishes, too. Mm-hmm. Like, if I'm making noodles or something like that, I'll yeah. throw it in and so just good. tastes so, so good. Yummy. Yeah. That's yeah. so exciting. You started gardening. I know. <laughs> I've always wanted one. It's I made a to-do list that was kind of a joke yeah. for this year. It was like, one of them was like, grow my hair long. Because I went through a phase this year, which I think everyone has to go through a phase yeah. where they cut their hair and dye yeah. it like 60 times. Yeah, yeah. And that was my phase this year. Like, <laughs> really? So I'm like, okay, so to-do list, grow my hair long, yeah. start a garden. <laughs> like, it's these things that's like, eventually I'll right. come around and to it. Right, and it happens. So yeah. Oh, yeah. The time will pass anyways, exactly. you know? <laughs> exactly. Your hair's gonna inevitably grow long. Right, right. Yeah. And same, same with my garden. Especially in Colorado, it's so much sunshine right. and then rain, and so the plants are just yeah. so happy oh, there. Sure. Yeah. It's amazing. You'll have to send me some photos. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. Thank you 
you so much for coming on. This has been so much fun recording with you, and I know so many people are going to get so much inspiration and wisdom from you. Thank you so much. This was such a pleasure and such a fulfilling conversation, and we have so much in common. So, I know. Yeah, I'm I just know. excited to keep getting to know you. Me too. And where can people find you on socials and any upcoming events, maybe? My Insta is at Inner Garden. My TikTok is at Inner underscore Garden. Love your friend Sion and... Jaskrit.